So, Pastor Chris is not here. I'm not speaking, but we have one of the most powerful young women in America that's going to be speaking today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give it up for my sister from another mother, Miss Christy McClellan, as she comes to share the word. Somebody say, yes, Lord. Oh, it's a good day. It's a good day. Linda Bailey won't tell you this. She's one of 12 children, and I believe she's secretly ruling the world. (laughs) I do. She's so administrative and organized. She's served with me in women's ministry all these years. Lady, I believe when God looks at your life, he's pleased. And I don't know what else to tell you but that. Um, Before we dive in today, can we just take a moment to thank the Vespers for leading us in worship? That was amazing. Love that. Double blessing, man. God is good. A couple of things before we dive in today. Ladies, just a reminder, our one-day women's conference is coming up community-wide. We're going to be taking some of the ladies from Baby Girls Club with us that day, some of the moms from uh, Sophia's heart that day. So don't forget to come by. You can register online. It's filling up. I don't want you to miss out on it. It's going to be just a great day. So excited to be here this morning. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote that as Christians, we have been given to each other to remind each other that God is always at work in our lives. So I wanted to just come by today and remind you that God is at work in your life. Anybody need to be reminded of that today? Anybody need to be reminded that God is actually better than we know? He's actually better, no matter how good you think he is. I was texting with the Dysons this morning. They texted and said, Christy, we're praying for you this morning. And I said, you know what? I've been marinating on this word all week, and I feel like this steak that's just ready to go on the grill. It feels like it's just time. It's just time for this. Amen? So open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 10. Lunch is in 45 minutes. I know I'm mentioning a steak now. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. Jesus said in John 12, 32, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. All I want to do today is lift up Jesus so that you can look at him again, anew, afresh, and that he might minister to us today. Today we're going to be looking in John chapter 10, and the sermon title for today is Jesus, Good Shepherd, Great gate. That being said, would you bow your heads? Because if we're going to be fed today, it's going to be the Lord doing the feeding. Let's ask him to do that. Oh, Father God, here we are again. It's another Sunday morning. It's another Sabbath. Lord, we have said no to everything else to say yes to you and being here this morning. Lord, right now we lean back and we posture to receive what you have for us. Lord, we fully acknowledge that if we are going to get anything today, it is because you are going to reveal yourself to us. Lord, would you take your word by your spirit and would you show us things that no man or woman could ever possibly teach or preach? Would you feed us today, Lord? Would you nourish us? Would you encourage us? Would you edify us? Would you lift us up? Lord, I pray that when we leave out of here today, we will have seen you again, seen you anew, seen you afresh. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Well, if you think about John 10, John 10 is one of the most famous passages in all of the Christian faith. Most of us here have read these verses before. In John chapter 10, Jesus makes some amazing statements. There might have been times in your life when you needed some encouragement and you would go to John 10 to get that word from the Lord. In John 10, Jesus says things like, I am the good shepherd. How many of you have ever read that in John 10? I am the good shepherd. He goes on to say the thief comes because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. How many of you have ever read that, seen it in a devotional book? Jesus goes on to say things like, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How many of you have ever read this in John chapter 10? It's one of the most famous passages that we often read and experience in our Christian faith. But here's the really interesting thing. John chapter 10 actually happens mid-story. When we open up the Bible to John 10 because we want to get that encouragement, we're actually stepping into a moment that's already happening. So I have to ask you a question. How many of you buy a novel and open it up halfway and start reading it? You don't do that because you would be completely disoriented to what's going on. Who's that? Why did he kill so-and-so? Wait, I thought she was in love with him. We don't understand the story unless we start to read it at the beginning. Amen? Amen. And so something is already happening here. How many of you would pay $11.50 to go to a movie and show up an hour into it? We don't do that. Because part of how we derive meaning from a story or a narrative is we have to start at the beginning of the sequence. Does that make sense? So before we can even get to John 10, before we can even get a better understanding, again, God is better than we ever knew, we've got to actually go back and start at the beginning of the story. So let's go back to John chapter 9, one chapter back. So Christy, what's going on? What's going to set up John chapter 10? It's another famous story that we love in the Christian faith. How many of you love that story of Jesus healing the blind man at the pool of Siloam? Oh, yeah, that's what goes down in John chapter 9. Linda Bailey, there it is, Siloam Health Center. God had me talking about the pool of Siloam today. God knows what he's doing. And so in John chapter 9, let's take a look at what's going on so that we'll be better ready for John chapter 10. If you're with me so far, say okay. Okay, John chapter 9 verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Hold the phone. Look at what they're implying there. Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they see a man born blind. And the question that the disciples ask Jesus is who sinned? This man or his parents? How many of you, when you see a sick person, your first thought is, what sin did they commit? What kind of a response is that? Whoever came along and taught the people of Israel that if you were sick, it was because of your sin. 
Well, what we have to understand is in the first century A.D., the Pharisees and the Sadducees were actually teaching this. They were teaching the people that if you were poor or if you were sick, it was because of your sin. Can you imagine finding out that you have cancer and coming here to Strong Tower to meet with Pastor Chris, your shepherd here? And you say, man, Pastor Chris, I got bad news from the doctor. I just found out I've got cancer. And as your pastor, if he looked back at you and said, what did you do to get cancer? What did you do? What kind of sin is in your life that you now have cancer? How would you feel? What would you do with that? Man, with spiritual leaders like that, who even needs an enemy? Right? And so the disciples are sharing a prevalent worldview that is alive in the first century, not that's being taught by the pagans, but it is being taught by their religious leaders. Can everybody say gross? That's just gross. Oh, but there's this beautiful messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. The Old Testament talks so much about what the Messiah would be like when he comes. It's Isaiah 42.3, and it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering flame he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth his justice. And so we have a man born blind And the Pharisees have already weighed in on it. Oh, you're born blind. It's because of your sin. It's because of your family's sin. We don't have any compassion for you because you did it to yourself. Oh, but Jesus shows up on the scene and it is into this darkness. It is into this shadow that's over Israel at that time that the Son of God comes. Could somebody say amen? Good news is on the way. John 1.5 says the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not been able to overcome it. So what is Jesus going to do with the man born blind? The Pharisees are going to judge him. They're going to discount him because he's done something to end up in that condition. So what is Jesus going to do? We know the story. Jesus heals the man. Spits in the ground, makes mud, puts it on his eyes, sends him to the pool of Siloam, Linda Bailey. He washes his eyes, and the Bible says that he could then see. Jesus restores his sight. Isn't that beautiful? And the interesting thing is, he does it on the Sabbath. So he not only heals him, but he heals him on the Sabbath. Now, here's the other interesting thing. The Pharisees are going to respond to this. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had a friend or family member who had been blind all their life and Jesus came along and healed them, what would your response be? Yay, praise, honor, glory. Oh, my goodness, Jesus, you're so amazing. But this isn't the Pharisees' response. They actually question and badger the man. They actually badger him. They even go to his parents and start badgering them. Can everybody say gross? (laughs) Just gross. 
and they get so upset with him because he's not telling them what they want to hear. The Bible says at the end of John 9, they actually kick him out of the synagogue. It's like, man, what did I do? I was born blind. This man came along and gave me my sight, and now you're kicking me out of the synagogue? This is the world that the Son of God comes into to minister and to speak the truth of who God is, what he is like, and what the kingdom is like. Amen? So in the aftermath of all of this, a conversation is going to begin between Jesus and the very Pharisees who badgered and kicked the man out of the synagogue. So a conversation is going to now happen, and it is in the middle of this conversation that we have the words of John 10. In all of your life, when you were reading those beautiful words in John 10, did you ever get it that he was speaking that to the Pharisees who had just judged and kicked a man out of the synagogue for being healed? This is the context of his words. So Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees with common people standing around. Now, this adds a lot to our understanding of what we are about to read through and discover in John 10. But we're a little bit more ready to head into that chapter now. If you're still with me, say, okay. Okay. So now let's go to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen or the sheep fold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Just for nothing, who do you think he's talking about here? The Pharisees. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Who is he talking to? The Pharisees. He goes on to say, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out, and he will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So let's go back one slide where Jesus keeps making this statement, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Now, the interesting thing about words is when we read the Bible and we find words like this, we tend to think of things in our own everyday life that look like that, right? So when I read the word gate in the Bible, I'm a Mississippi girl from a small town. So when I read the word gate, I normally picture something like this. Anybody think of something like that when you see a gate? Just a wooden gate with a metal latch. You know, how many of you think of a gate that looks like this? Maybe front yard, your backyard, metal. Isn't that a nice gate? 
It's a nice little gate. You know, we've got some history nerds in here, and they're thinking, well, Christy, actually in antiquity, ancient gates looked like this. Okay, there's another kind of a gate. And then we all even know famous gates. How many of you recognize this gate? It's the gates at Buckingham Palace where the Queen of England lives. So there's all these different kind of gates. And so this now becomes our question. In John chapter 10, what kind of a gate is Jesus talking about? When he says, I am the gate for the sheep. So he's talking about sheep, and he's talking about shepherds, and he's talking about a sheep pen. Now, let me clarify something for you really fast. If you're still with me, say, okay. Jesus is not a Greco-Roman philosopher. He is not in the vein of Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates. He doesn't just travel around just sitting around to do nothing but pontificate the situation. That's all the Greco-Roman philosophers did all day. Pontificate the situate, pontificate the situate, pontificate the situate. If a tree falls in the forest, but no one is there to hear it, does it make a sound? Who cares? No, 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 no. Jesus' words mean everything. And he is a master teacher. And usually when he is speaking, he is physically looking at something. He is looking at something that is real. That for years on, his disciples, when they would walk by that thing, it would be this constant reminder. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember when Jesus used that fig tree as an analogy? Do you remember when he was talking about the shepherds and the gate? So Jesus is talking about something very real when he's talking about this gate and how he himself is the gate. Who's excited? (laughs) This is just good stuff because he means something. He's saying something here. So what is he getting at? Let me show you a picture. Took this picture while we were in Israel this March. I don't know if you can tell, but there's a shepherd right there walking with his sheep. And you notice how he's just walking, and they're just following. They're just following their shepherd. And he's got them out by day, and he's taking them to find green pasture so they can eat. He's leading them beside still water, who's thinking Psalm 23 right now. But he's taking them somewhere. He's taking them to this place right here, this next picture. How many of you can see this structure right here in the center? Right here in the Judean wilderness. See, by day, shepherds take their sheep out, and they graze them around. They take them to find water. But when nightfall comes, if they've traveled so far from home that they don't have time to get their sheep all the way back home, they will actually stop over for the night. If we could leave that picture up, please. They'll take them to this structure, which is called a sheepfold. What Jesus calls a sheep pen in John 10 is this right here. It's a sheepfold. It's kind of like a Motel 8 for sheep. If you can't get home, you can spend the night here. So when nightfall comes, the shepherd will lead the sheep to a sheepfold, sort of a a, a natural cave, and then they'll take man-made stones here. If you'll go back, back to the last one. And they'll put man-made stones right there to sort of form an entranceway. And at night, the shepherd will take the sheep And he will put them one by one into the sheepfold. 
to care for them and to tend for them. Because what happens at night? First of all, it gets cold. You know what happens at night? The boogeyman comes out at night. Here comes the wolf. Here comes the coyote. Here comes the hyena. Here comes the predator. And so what he'll do is there is a door. If you'll just leave the pictures up, please. You don't need to show me. <laughs> this right here is the opening. If I'm showing you a close-up of that sheepfold, it is right through here. And here's the entrance to the cave in the back. The shepherd will lead his sheep one by one through that gate. And that opening right there, that door, that is the gate to the sheepfold, the gate to the sheep pen. This is what Jesus is referencing in John chapter 10 when he says, I am the gate. Now, y'all, this is beautiful, and take this in. Because I know that some of you are here today, and you are that bruised reed. And I want you to know that Jesus has not come to break you. And I know there are some of you here that you're like a smoldering flame. You think, Chrissy, I don't even know if I can go another day. I don't even know if I can make it. I don't know if I have it in me. I'm here to let you know that Jesus is not coming to snuff you out. He is the good shepherd, and he is the gate. So what does this mean? So after the shepherd has taken all of his, if I could get a picture of that, back to the, there we go. (laughs) After the shepherd has gotten all of the sheep in, and it is nighttime, A good shepherd will never leave his sheep. The shepherd actually sits in the gate all night with his rod and his staff. They comfort me. And while the sheep are completely asleep, completely unable to protect themselves, completely unable to ward off any enemies that come, The shepherd vigilantly watches for them all night. Jesus is getting at something very important here. I don't know where we ever got it that we have to go find God. The entirety of scripture says that he is forever coming for us. He is forever coming for us. I don't know where we got it that we have to protect ourselves, that we have to provide for ourselves, that we have to keep ourselves. Because Jesus is saying, you know what? When you are completely helpless, I myself sit in the gate for you, and I watch over you. And it's this beautiful twofold ministry that happens in the gate. The shepherd's rod is an offensive weapon. That's what he'll use if a wolf tries to come and take one of the sheep. He'll chase off the wolf with his rod. The staff is for the sheep. It's to gently and lovingly lead them where they're supposed to go. So Strong Tower, I need you to understand that God has given us a very good shepherd in Jesus. And in your night... He sits in your gate. He seeks to keep the predator out, and he seeks to keep you in. If there is any saving being done, it is him doing the saving. If there is any keeping being done, 
He is doing the keeping. Amen? Amen. And I don't know about you, but I really kind of think this about me. I think it might take God more energy keeping me in than keeping the wolf out. (laughs) You ever felt that way? Might take him more energy to keep me in. You know, man, a few years ago, I was at McDonald's because I love their sweet tea. And at the time, I had a little black Mazda Miata. I had the top down. It was a sunny day. So the top downs, I can see around. Now, one of my things, and we all have our things, so don't judge me. Just think about your own. But I'm going to just say (laughs) that I I have a healthy dose of road rage. Can I just say that? Like, that's just real. Watch me on the road. Another part of me comes out. You cut me off. So I'm getting my sweet tea, and I'm, I'm pulling out. <laughs> Help me, Holy Spirit. In these two little teenage girls, like munchkins, like fly in front of me and cut me off. Now, they're in a little convertible, too. And they've got their top down. And the one in the passenger side actually cusses at me. She's like, watch out, you me. <laughs> oh, you little something, you're talking to me? <laughs> so what do I do, mature Christian leader that I am? I like punch my car and I'll pull out around them and now they're right in front of me at a red light and I am like so mad and I am like staring at the red light and this is all I can think okay before that light turns green I have enough time to get out of my car go up there snatch them both by their heads pull them out of the car right like this is what I'm thinking and the Holy Spirit's like Christy, that's not a good idea. (laughs) Can we not do that? (laughs) You know? Man, if you are saved, God has saved you. And if you are kept, he's keeping you. You know, the interesting thing about it, that day when that happened, I was actually on my way to meet with Kate Grassman, who was a teenager at the time, for our discipleship appointment. It's like I'm getting ready to kill two teenagers so I could go teach the Bible to the third one. What is my problem? Chrissy, what are you saying? I, I'm saying, y'all, I get it that I will not be kept unless he keeps me. I am so grateful that there is a shepherd who sits in my gate, who seeks to keep the wolf off of me, and who seeks to keep me in. This is the work of God on our behalf. So again, who is Jesus talking to here in John 10? The Pharisees. So why would Jesus be talking about all of this stuff with shepherds and sheep and all of this? Why this analogy in this moment talking to the Pharisees? Well, all throughout Scripture, the religious leaders of Israel have always been referenced as shepherds, as spiritual shepherds over the people. Now, let me show you something in Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly, brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Does that sound like the Pharisees we just saw in John chapter 9? Looking at a man born blind and having no compassion for him, reducing him to the simplest of, will you sin so you deserve it? Anybody in here want a shepherd like that? No. So the sheep have been scattered. The question becomes, who is going to go get them? Who is going to go get the scattered sheep? How many of you are glad that there's more to Ezekiel 34? (laughs) By the way, when's the last time you read Ezekiel? It's been a while, hasn't it? Ezekiel 34, let's pick it up at verse 11. Oh, this is good. Take this in. This is for you. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and on mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Somebody say amen. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will search for the lost and I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Does that sound like Jesus to you? How many of you want a shepherd like that? A shepherd who will search for you, who will look for you, who will bring you in, keep you in at that. This is part of what Jesus is getting at. He's looking at the bad shepherds of Israel, and he's saying, this is how you lead them. But this is how I am going to lead them. He is a good shepherd. He finishes John 10 and saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, Susan Williams called me yesterday and she was like, Christy, I've just got to share this praise report with you. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, tell me. And she said, I have a friend from high school that I have been praying for for 20 years for him to accept the Lord. And he just emailed me the other day, and she said, Christy, the email started out 
with Sue, because he calls her Sue. How many of you have like a high school nickname? You know, he was like, Sue, I just want you to know I'm clean. God has found me. He's given his life to the Lord. She said that she could just see the change in him just in reading his email. And she said that she had been praying for him for 20 years. And I just started smiling because I've been pondering this whole John 10 thing all week. And I thought, you know what, Lord, you know what that says to me? For 20 years, you never gave up on that man. In 20 years, you never stopped pursuing him. All the times he told you no, all the times he said not right now, all the times he said I don't really think so, all the times he said I love something more so I'm not ready to lay it down, all those times he rejected you, you just kept coming. You just kept coming. You just kept coming. You just kept coming. Oh, the love of God will wear you down. Go ahead and give into it. It's good. Man, 20 years, the faithfulness of God. I want to ask the Vespers to come back up. We're going to have a protracted time of worship because, man, we need to respond to this. I want to ask that we put that picture back up of that gate. I've actually brought some printouts of this gate if you want to come by and get one. Be a beautiful thing to take home and put in your Bible at John 10 and teach it to your children. They need to understand this great shepherd that they're serving. You know, Strong Tower, I have no idea what your night is. I have no idea what you're going through. I have no idea the thing that seeks to steal your peace. I don't know the thing that seeks to come in and disrupt your sleep, steal your harmony. I have no idea what that thing is that is pressing you. I have no idea the predator. I have no idea what you feel like is coming after you. Just keeping it real, I have no idea of what that temptation is that actually at times makes you want to climb out of that sheepfold and go lay hold of the lesser things. I don't know what those things are. But I just wanted to show you this and to remind you that God has given us a good shepherd who leads us out by day who leads us beside still waters. And in the night, he becomes our great gate. He tucks us in. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. When you and I are all together out of it and unable, he seeks to keep the predator away. He seeks to keep you in. He is our good shepherd. He is our great gate. This is why at the wedding supper of the lamb, that banquet is in the Lord's honor. It's in his name and it is for him. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. The altar is open. If you want to come down for prayer, if you need to kneel in your seat, it's an encouraging word. Every time we look at Jesus, it's an encouraging thing. I want us to go out today reciting the 23rd Psalm together. Since learning this when I was in Israel, it has forever changed the way I read Psalm 23. And I want you to notice this cherished psalm that we have read for centuries. All of Psalm 23, every line, it's talking about what God does for you. 
The real question today, Strong Tower, is not will we go find God, but will we allow ourselves to be found by him anew? Will we allow him to put us into his sheepfold to keep the predator out, to keep us in in the night? Let's recite this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me 